0: want to encourage you. A lot of people get really weirded out when, when we shift to this first person, like now I'm speaking into the spiritual realm. And it's something that many people are uncomfortable with. And, and I have been um, in my life at times too, but I, I want to remind you of who you are. You are a daughter or son of the King, You carry his name, you carry his authority, you carry his spirit within you. He has empowered you to speak on his behalf over your own life. That's where it all starts, in your life. So much of our thinking, we get trapped in this kind of prayer. Jesus, would you do this for me? Or help me. God, help me. You know, my mom or whatever. Like, and sometimes, like, those are fine prayers, but sometimes what is necessary is to actually stand in the authority you have and say, No, in the name of Jesus, I'm drawing a line right now. I forbid you, enemy of God, from having influence in my life in this way or in, you know, my family in this way. Every um, night when, when Rochelle and I are praying for our kids. Like, this is how I pray with my own kids. They're so used to it now. But I'm teaching them and training them how to pray with authority. So every night when I'm kneeling beside their bed praying with them, I, I literally say, I, You know, we, we dedicate our lives to you, Mom, Dad, Eli, Simon, this house, and our whole property. We're under the Lord's covering. So now as as the head of the home or whatever it is, in Jesus' name, I command any unholy power that is here or wants to have influence anywhere in our property to leave right now. That's what God has allowed us to do as his sons and daughters. Not to say Jesus help us to do, have a good sleep. I mean, that's okay. But Jesus has given us the authority. And um, today is gonna be super practical. And I just felt like I, I needed to remind you that it's not just for me to pray that way. It's for you to actually practice and exercise these kind of elements of your own spiritual life. That you have the same Holy Spirit in you that I do, that Jesus did, you have the same authority Now, authority is developed. Spiritual authority and power are developed, but they come from intimacy. It doesn't come from ritual or routine or just like saying the right phrase. That's what those guys did in Acts 19. Well, we have the right language. That's not where spiritual authority comes from. Spiritual authority doesn't just come from saying, in Jesus' name, do something. Spiritual authority comes from submission, humility, and intimacy with Jesus himself, and because I'm near to him, I have access to everything that he offers. Um, we're talking about being counterformed, and we're gonna be on this for a while this year. I wanna just head through this really quickly. I took longer on that prayer time than, uh, than I thought, so I'm gonna head through this uh, really quickly. Um, we're talking about this idea of being counterformed. Again, the the thesis for this whole year, really, for us and for um, certainly this series and this subject matter, the thesis is that you and I are being spiritually formed, whether we like it or not. The question we have to answer and ask is who or what is doing the shaping and forming in our life? Paul says that, as some people call it, there's an unholy trinity, <laughs> right? We've got like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's the good trinity. There's an unholy trinity that's seeking to shape and influence your life. The three members of the unholy trinity are number one, your, yours and my flesh, our own desires, what we just want, what we want for our lives, what we want for our future, what we want that stands opposed to what God wants. Our own flesh is actually looking to shape and form our lives and lead us away from the purposes of God for us. The second member of that unholy trinity is what Paul says uh, and calls the world. What Paul means are the prevailing ideologies and philosophies of the world, the prevailing sort of uh, convictions of the world's um, sort of systems. And you don't have to work very hard to think of like, what are the prevailing sort of orthodoxy and ideas of our world today? Whether you like it or not, the moment you hop online, the moment you're on TikTok or, or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you are being shaped by what you are ingesting. You don't get a choice. That's happening. When you sh- uh, like put on the news, you are being shaped by the narrative that's being delivered. It's just the reality. You and I are being spiritually shaped and formed by our own desires, by the world, and the third one is the devil himself, this kingdom of darkness. You, we can't afford, especially anymore, to think that Satan has no interest really in your life. He has great interest in your life. And he has the means and the way to be personally and actively involved in it. Just because we're followers of Jesus, does not we don't have a magic force field around us that makes us immune to the attacks and assignments and ideas of the kingdom of darkness. So those three things are looking to form how we think, what we believe, what our convictions are, what our values are, how we live, how we confront, how we deal with pressure and conflict and all of these things. And what we need today is a counter formation. We need to first recognize these things are happening. Those of you in university, it's happening on like hyperdrive. Our universities are shaping machines, pushing out students, men and women, conformed to the patterns of our world, shaped into the ideological sameness that is prevailing in our world. It's just a reality. My kids are in grade school, it happens. Our education system is shaping the lives of young men and women. It's just a reality. So you and I are being spiritually formed. The question is, what influence is having a greater effect on the formation of our life? Is it the presence of Jesus, the reality of the kingdom of God, or is it these other things? I would argue that without intention, and work like we're gonna talk about today, these three, sort of the flesh, our flesh, the world and the devil have a greater shaping influence on your life and my life than we would care to admit. Just do a study, spend the whole afternoon this afternoon on Twitter, <laughs> see what happens. See what happens to your attitude, your demeanor, your, your, your spirit, your, your emotional life, see what happens. See how you get agitated and, and are wanting to kind of, you know, get in there and see how you begin to view people and perceive people. That's shaping and forming. And we've, for so long, been so passive in our spiritual life. We somehow we have this idea that I don't need to do anything. God just miraculously shapes and forms me and matures me. Where did we ever get that idea from? That's not an actual thing that we see in scripture. So we're gonna come back to that over the next number of weeks. There's three, uh, three mechanisms, three things God has given all of us to live out his divine calling and purpose in our life. Number one, he's given us all natural talents and abilities. Number two, he's given us all access to spiritual practices, to spiritual disciplines or holy habits, however you wanna call them. That's what we're talking about for the next number of weeks. And number three, he's given us all access to the Holy Spirit's gifting and power. Those are three mechanisms we have to live out the kingdom of God on our life. We're gonna focus on spiritual practices. Dallas Willard says this about them. A discipline for the spiritual life is when the dust of history is blown away, nothing but an activity undertaken to bring us into more effective cooperation with Christ and his kingdom. Spiritual practices, like we're gonna talk about over the next number of weeks, have nothing to do with developing righteousness or earning merit or favor with God. There are practical mechanisms we can use and engage in in our life to bring us into more effective cooperation with what God wants to do in our life so that we can live out his kingdom calling and purpose. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. I just want to illustrate this point through scripture. Paul says this to Timothy his understudy. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tale. Stop just talking about what you think you believe. Instead, train yourself. If you're an underliner, circle or underline train. Instead, get, again, instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we, I underline this, circle it, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hopes, our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, particularly of all believers. That word in the Greek for train is gymnaso, where we give gymnastics or gymnasium. And it means to train, exercise, or discipline yourself. There's an activation that we are called to by God in our own life of our spiritual life. We're called to it. We, we've got to work at deforming this sort of cheap grace idea that we have believed that yes, we're saved by God's grace. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. There's nothing we can do to be accepted by God. It's his grace. It's free. It's given freely. But grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We can't earn God's approval in any way. But we enter into this realm of cheap grace When we get something for free, that then has no value to us, we exert no initiative or energy to actually uh, grow that thing, cultivate it, and shape and strengthen it. And we've gotten trapped, especially in the evangelical world, we've gotten trapped into this cheap grace model, like, well, God, you give it to me for free, I can't earn it, therefore I'm not gonna do anything with it or about it. I'm just gonna passively sit by Read my Bible sporadically, pray for dinner, maybe sporadically go to church on Sunday and just hope that you spiritually develop and grow my life. But that's not what scripture tells us to do. Paul says, train yourself, get in the game, get active in your spiritual life. 1 Corinthians 9, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. There were no segues back then. (laughs) Couldn't just hop on it and lean forward. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. This is a, a crucial statement Paul makes next. So I run with purpose in every step. There's an intentionality and a purpose to how Paul was living his spiritual life. It wasn't just haphazard or abstract. It wasn't just sort of, oh, I just go with the flow. How, whatever I feel today, however I'm feeling this week or this month, I'll just go with it. He ran with a purpose in every step structured, disciplined, detailed, intentional. I'm not just shadow boxing, he said. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That word for discipline in the Greek means to wear down, to beat, I love this one especially, to annoy. Like, I was thinking about that Honestly, I haven't been to the gym for a while. Not that anybody would notice that, but I haven't been partly because it's annoying. (laughs) It's super annoying, especially it's super annoying to get up really early and go to the gym and structure that into your life. It's annoying to do things that you don't wanna do. It's annoying to subject yourself to discipline, eating and exercise and training and, and fitness and all of that. It's annoying because I don't want to do it. And Paul is saying our spiritual life is the same way. You don't grow unless you annoy yourself spiritually and begin to do the things you naturally don't want to do. You don't grow spiritually until you actually wake up with intention and say, no, 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 I'm not just gonna go with the flow today and fit Jesus into the cracks. My schedule, my life, my, my purpose today, my time is going to be driven by him and that's gonna annoy the heck out of you because it actually contradicts what we just naturally want, which is to do what we want. Paul is saying, I beat my body, I annoy myself. I enter into things I don't want to do. I enter into things that are less than my passion. (laughs) I enter into them so that I can grow, so that I can become strengthened. Our body, our physical body, is the place of spiritual power. It's where the spiritual realm and the natural realm intersect. Our body is the place God has given to us to affect the earth around us. Our body is this converging place between the spiritual realm and natural realm, and as Dallas Willard calls our bodies, little power packs. The body you and I have is meant to be an influencing agent on the earth for the kingdom of God. It's meant in a godly way to exert its power and influence over the kingdom of darkness. That's what our body is meant for. So when Paul is saying, I beat my body, he's saying, I do things in the flesh I introduce disciplines into my life that grow me spiritually so that I can walk in greater power and authority on the earth. And we know this from, you know, uh, think of your, the high, highest elite athletes, hockey players, basketball players, whoever it is. LeBron James is, yes, he's got n- natural raw talent. But LeBron James has not just left it to game time, to just decide or figure out whether or not he's gonna be able to perfect certain moves in critical situations in the game that mean the difference between winning and losing. He doesn't just go, I'll just show up to the court five minutes before the game and I'll just do stuff. I'll just do stuff. Or, you know, like on the ice. The best players aren't able to pull off these incredible moves and maneuvers by just showing up to the game once a week or twice a week. They practice, they rehearse, they train their bodies, their their muscle memory, their, their physical, they train it so that in the moment when they need it most, it's available. And this is like our spiritual life. Like we're we're skating down the ice, right? And then we come to you know the the defenseman on the other side. And spiritually, we just expect by pra- not practicing or paying any attention to our spiritual life, we're going to have the capacity to outmaneuver the defense, break through, and score a goal top shelf. We just think, oh God, you'll just help me do it in the moment. But that's not the way the kingdom of God works. Paul is saying. That's a fantasy. The same way it would be a fantasy for me to think I could step on the ice with an NHL team and just, oh yeah, when I need it, I'll have the moves I need. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for elite athletes. It doesn't work that way for our favorite musicians who when they perform and sing and play brings us into this like transcendent powerful moment that doesn't happen because they just walked onto the stage, picked up a guitar and went, all right, God, help me do this now. Eli's been learning, he's been practicing guitar. He's an amazing drummer. And I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I did it, but the first song I ever learned on guitar was Smoke on the Water. Duh, 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 duh. So, what have we been hearing for four hours a day for three weeks during school quarantine and home? Duh, 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 duh. And he's practicing. He's getting better at it, actually. I don't want to hear smoke on the water anymore in our home, but that's just kind of where we've started. But he's practicing. And what Paul is saying is in your spiritual life, God has created you to walk in his authority and power to have influence and impact on the world around you, on your university campus, in your workplace, uh, in, in our community, at the hockey rink, in the baseball diamond, in the on the court. He's created you to walk in authority and power, but that just doesn't happen willy-nilly as you want it in the moment. It happens by disciplining yourself in the things of the spirit, and developing your spiritual muscle so that when the crisis comes, when the hard moment comes, when you're in a tricky spot, when you're in confrontation, you naturally do what you've trained your body to do already. This is how Jesus walked. He didn't have to sit there and muster up mercy uh, for the people that were demanding his time. Why? Because he spent copious amounts of time in silence and solitude with the father before he went into ministry. He didn't have to step back and go into the corner of the room and be like, ah, I gotta, I gotta, these people are so annoying to me, but I gotta figure this out. No, it naturally flowed out of him because he had spent time with his father. He had trained and developed his life spiritually. So no elite athlete or musician tries to get by on just natural talent alone. They work. I want to submit to you, we desperately need to be counterformed, but that's going to take initiation, activation on our part. Another word you could say for Paul's is he tried. He tried. God is not... Grace is not opposed to you producing an effort. Paul said that you and I are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. James said, faith without works is dead. It's useless. Paul is saying, I beat my body. I do things that aren't natural to me that I don't want to do. Every morning when I'm up praying, I'm just giving you an example from my own life. One of the very first things I do as I'm groggy and barely awake and walking downstairs is as I'm walking down the steps, with each step, I'm saying, God, I give you my body as a living sacrifice right now. I'm not just talking about praying. I'm not just laying in my bed in and out. like I'm activating my body to walk down the stairs and get on my knees in the spot that I like to pray, and I'm offering my body to you as a living sacrifice now. I'm not just talking about it. I'm doing things that annoy me, like getting up earlier than everybody. I'm doing things in my body to strengthen and grow my spiritual life so that when the moment of crisis comes, when the pressure is on, when I am like, you know, facing trouble on every side so that in that moment, I have the spiritual maturity and strength to walk in victory and in power, not be overcome by the moment. And so many of us, are just expecting God to come through miraculously when our back is up against the wall and when we need help. And God always comes to help us in some way. But we're not doing the hard work day in and day out of strengthening ourselves like an elite spiritual athlete to be able to counteract the things that are going on in our life in a healthy way. So these spiritual practices Uh, I'll show you this, just remind you of this diagram we had from last week. You can listen to last week's, which was a message just about why Jesus is our model for living. These three things, I think, were dominant characteristics in Jesus's life. Number one, he prioritized spiritual vitality through time with the Father. Jesus made time in spiritual uh, life a priority. He didn't just kind of see how the day went. He made time in the presence of his father a priority. That's a huge characteristic of Jesus's life. Number two, Jesus developed his character, you can read this in Ephesians, by sub, or Hebrews, by submitting to the rule of God over every part of his being. I wanna submit to you that I think he did that most through engaging in spiritual practices like fasting, prayer, solitude, silence, meditating on God's word. Um, You know, There's lots of them. Jesus developed his character by submitting to the rule of God in every part of his being. And the third characteristic is he walked in authority and power through the gifting and empowerment of the spirit. We wanna do that one, but we don't really wanna do the other ones. You can't really have the one without the others. So how are we going to do that? Again, I'm just, as a reminder, bottom left side there. These three things, I think, form the, the basis of how we grow into Christ-likeness and how we train ourselves spiritually. Number one, come under scripture. Jesus himself came under scripture. Scripture became an authority in his life that shaped him. It was scripture that shaped Jesus, not culture. We've got a big problem in our churches right now. A huge problem. It's culture that's shaping scripture. But scripture is meant to shape and form us, not the other way around. We don't stand over scripture and tell it what to do. We stand under it and allow the weight of God's glory to shape and form us through scripture. Number two, spiritual practices. Holy habits, spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them. These are ways that we train and develop our spiritual life. And three, reliance on the Holy Spirit's power and gifting. So with these bottom two spiritual practices, okay, those develop our inner life, our character and our heart life. Spiritual gifts, which we're gonna talk about later in the spring, they develop our outer life, how we relate to others, how we behave and and, uh, carry ourselves in the kingdom of God. The writer of Hebrews says this, let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. I want you to just, again, just sit with that for a second. So let us. Like, you have to do it. It's your choice. You don't have to boldly come before God's throne of grace. You don't have to do anything. (laughs) But he just doesn't magically pick you up like the magic carpet from your bed and just transports you into his throne of grace and do a bunch of good stuff for you and then... Like you have to d- decide and determine with yourself, I'm going to prioritize my spiritual life. I have access to the very throne room of God and I'm going to use it. Ephesians 3, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can, we can now, we don't have to, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. I think Jesus used spiritual practices to hear and walk with his father. He used spiritual practices to hear and walk with his Father. So these practices we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks are places of access and engagement with God. They're not a form of developing righteousness or favor or merit. They are places where we can intentionally access the presence of God and invite his shaping and forming nature to work in us and counterform us from the pressures of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Just really quickly as we end here on that one scripture, I think scripture needs to be the dominant shaping force in our life, but it requires intentional engagement on our part with a posture to be shaped by scripture. So here's a question. What scriptures have been shaping your life recently? Like what parts of the Bible that you've read, have you actually said, all right, Jesus, I'm gonna allow this to deeply influence and impact my life. I want it to. That's just a a question that you can think about. What what parts of Scripture have been counterforming your life toward the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit? This is what uh, Paul says about the role of Scripture. All Scripture, this is from 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Scripture is, uh, Paul is saying, has a shaping nature to it. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So scripture needs to be the dominant counterforming presence in our life. Scripture needs to counterform our values. What's most important to you and I? Scripture needs to counterform our priorities, our assumptions, our convictions, and the ways we view ourselves, God, and others. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Jesus saying, You've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, if a man you know, commits adultery with a woman, but I tell you, even if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's a counterforming statement right there. This is what the world says, but this is what I say. The question is, which one is gonna have greater influence on your life? Do you allow the scriptures to shape you and form you? If so, which ones are doing the shaping? I'll be honest, and I'll use myself as an example. There's been a lot of scriptures this year that have brought me deep conviction, that I've wrestled deeply with, that I've struggled to implement and, and live in my life and understand. One of them, I'm just using this as an example from my own personal life. One of them is from First Peter. This scripture absolutely annoys me for one <laughs> and and confronts my natural disposition confronts stuff deep in my own heart i want to read it to you first peter 2 13 for the lord's sake submit to all human authority whether the king as the head of state or the officials he's appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. Okay, it's God's will that you live your honorable lives should silence the ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So confrontation number one, Andrew, it's not how well you argue back it's how well you live that will silence the accusation of the enemy. That's, a, that's deeply confronting to me because I want to know stuff. I want to know the intellectual arguments for things. I want to know this side and that side. I want to be able to formulate those arguments. And I want, to, I want to destroy people with them. Let me just be honest. I want to have the knockout punch. And God says, it's not in your arguments. It's in how you live. It's in how you interact with people that has the greater effect. I've sat with that and gone, God, I'm not doing a good job with that right now. But I I want this to have a greater influence on my life than just what I want to do, which is just air my own thoughts and opinions and tell everybody they're wrong, (laughs) except for me. I am the only right person in Canada. Uh, Anyway, That was a joke. That was totally a joke. I don't actually think that. But Peter goes on. Again, this is another counter-forming thing in my own heart. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Ouch. Did you catch that word, respect? Respect. I could maybe do it begrudgingly and with a few comments on the side. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable. What? Yeah, but God, I see there's so much injustice and there's so much that's like totally just wrong. I've wrestled with that. I've deeply wrestled with that. And I haven't lived that out well. I'm just being honest with you. But that's the word of God. Peter is saying it doesn't matter if you're justified. It doesn't matter if they're, he's literally using that as an example. It doesn't matter if they're treating you harshly, unfairly, or unjustly. That doesn't give you permission to subvert their authority. That's literally what he's saying. And I've sat with that for hours and hours and said, God, I don't know how to live this out well. I don't know what to do with this, but I want your word to shape my life. And you know what's happened? That hasn't drawn me to define a specific and precise kind of like ideology. What it's done is it's humbled me and broken me in my heart. Realizing that I don't measure up to God's heart and standard for my life, yet I'm imposing on other people around me a need to measure up to my standard for how they should be behaving and acting. What this does, when the scriptures come and they begin to shape us and form us, they work in the area of our hearts. And God begins to break pride and judgment and self-righteousness and these things. And what happens is he softens. When we allow the scripture to form us and shape us, it doesn't, leading, it doesn't lead us into more division and hardness and rebuke and sort of siloing. It leads us into brokenness, humility, and gentleness. When I allow this to penetrate my life, It allows me to see other people who are struggling with things I have no idea about, who are acting and responding in ways that I don't fully understand, but see them as human and as much in need as the mercy and compassion and goodness and grace of God as I need. So what happens is I am softened by that. From my posturing and my stance to going, God, I need you so badly in my life. And if I do, then that person across the argument from me does too. The question is, would you allow even something like that? I'm not saying that has to be it for you, but would you allow scripture to deeply challenge and convict you and confront you? That's what it means to come under it. And there'll be a hundred different ways each one of us would experience that in our spiritual life. The question is, are you giving room for the scripture to speak into your heart and in your life? Are you willing for it to break through and soften you, break through your pride and your positions and all of that stuff? I want to encourage you that it's time for us to be intentional about our spiritual life that begins with coming under scripture. Not just picking the verses we like that defend our spot and our position, but the ones also that deeply confront and challenge us. And in addition to that, there's been a hundred other ones this year that God has deeply convicted me with. Said, Andrew, you're not living into this the way that I've called you. And he's so good with that. He's so good with how he challenges us. It's never out of anger or frustration. It's just love and grace. This Wednesday, I'm closing with this. This Wednesday, we start our immerse study. If you haven't been here, these uh, immerse, so this is the New Testament in the New Living Translation. What's unique about immerse is that all the chapters and verses are gone. The heart is that you actually recapture God's just heart through Scripture. So in this instance, there's other things that are good about studying. Our goal is not to intellectually and academically engage with scripture with Immerse. That has its place. Our goal is to actually uh, be transformed by God and to fall in love with him again. So this coming Wednesday, whether you've registered or not, we're starting and we'd love for you to come. We're starting here at seven. It's gonna be around round tables. And again, it's not academic study of scripture. It's what is God speaking to you about as you read this week? What's he doing in your heart? What's he challenging you with? What's he convicting you with? What's he encouraging you with? We're gonna do it around tables as community together to grow in relationship and in community. And I wanna encourage you to be a part of it. If you haven't picked one of these up, there's a few maybe left in the lobby. You can get one. You can Get the Immerse podcast and listen to the podcast, the daily readings. We're doing the 16-week plan at the back of this. At the end of 16 weeks, you'll have read through the whole New Testament, which maybe for some of you would be the first time you've read through it all in one thing. And this is our way as a church of being intentional now with bringing our lives under scripture and allowing it to shape and form us and doing it together. Hearing from each other. I've just kind of shared with you some of the things that God has been confronting in me in Scripture. And this is the kind of stuff that we want to just talk about for the next number of weeks, eight weeks together. So I just want to encourage you if you are on the fence about it or not sure, you're not going to grow spiritually this year without intention and effort. I'm not saying that harshly or rudely or to condemn you, it's just a reality. You and I won't grow passively, but we will be shaped by the world, the flesh, and the devil if we're passive. So which one is gonna have the greater influence on our life, the greater effect on our heart this year? When scripture shapes us, it does things like draw out the fruit of the spirit Another one that's shaped me. Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna pray. Another scripture that shaped me this year is First Corinthians 13. Love is patient. I could just stop there, <laughs> right? Second, love is kind. Oh, really? I don't know. I struggle with that some days. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. That's a hard one. It isn't easily offended. Keeps no record of wrongs. Ay ay ay. <laughs> the question is, am I willing to spend the time with God to allow that, to have a greater influence on my life so that my family and those closest to me in some way could actually be the benefactors of God working through me to develop more patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and goodness and faithfulness and love. That's what my kids need from their dad and my wife needs from her husband and my friends need from their friend. So what's having a greater shaping impact on your life this year? Is it scripture and the things of God or other things? Let's pray. Jesus, we just we need your help with this. And Father, I just pray, um, as we just embark on this journey of discovering the spiritual practices that are found in scripture, that you would just stir faith again in us, stir hope again in us, that we can actually live out your kingdom purposes and calling in the power and authority of Jesus on the earth. We can be a light in dark places. Your kingdom can advance through us as we engage in our spiritual life in a new way. Father, for those who are just tempted right now to just go, ah, I don't care about that stuff or I don't wanna be annoyed. I just pray, Holy Spirit, for just, uh, not only just your conviction, but just that you would stir a new vision for kingdom life in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.